Welcome to the Ambedkar Initiative podcast series, in which students at Columbia University discuss their research on B.R. Ambedkar, a Columbia alum and one of the 20th century's foremost thinkers on caste and democracy. I'm Anupama Rao, director of the Ambedkar Initiative and professor of history at Columbia. In this episode, Tommy Song speaks with Augustus O'Connor. Both are recent graduates of Columbia College, where Tommy studied history and Gus studied English. Um, I wanted to start off by asking you if you could tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into the Embedker Initiative. Um, so I graduated from Columbia University this past May with a bachelor's in history and political science. And um, during my first year at Columbia, I took the Columbia University in Slavery Seminar, which exposed me to the university archive at the Rare Book and Manuscript Library, what we call the RBML. Um, And I had done a little archival research before the seminar, but CUN Slavery really inspired me to pursue it deeply, which um, brought me to my current research areas, which are the conceptual history of race and racism and the global intellectual history of anti-racist and democratic thoughts. Um, The history of Ambedkar's thought here aligns well with these interests. So um, the first paper I wrote for the CUN Slavery Seminar was on William Dunning and his influence on the white supremacist scholarship of the Dunning School, among other things, which um, brought me within the range of Professor Rao's radar since Dunning was an important point in the time space of Ambedkar's studies at Columbia. Um, and I was ultimately introduced to the world of Ambedkar by Professor Rao, owing to our shared interest in the intellectual history of interwar America. So for an Americanist like myself, the Ambedkar Initiative was a perfect pathway towards studying the more global and often more readily overlooked facets of intellectual histories. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, you mentioned Professor Rao's interest in Dunning and also the Dunning School as an important point of connection. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, the Dunning School refers to a highly influential group of Southern historians in the U.S. and, you know, uh, historians and political theorists in the early 20th century who all studied under two Columbia professors, William Dunning and his predecessor, John Burgess. Um, and Burgess is often called the uh, father of political science in America. Okay, I, I see. Yes, yeah, so um, while Ambedkar was a uh, student at the School of Political Science at Columbia that Burgess founded, um, Dunning was one of the key scholars who not just redirected American social sciences, but also molded the white understanding of Afro-Americans as second-class citizens in need of white control. So while the works of Dunning Burgess and the so-called Dunningites were largely responsible for legitimizing what I deemed to be white supremacist theories and histories, they also were influential in popularizing um, source-based or quote-unquote science-based history writing as well as um, historical approaches to the history of constitutions. Mm. And so it seems that, like Dunning and his followers, um, really exemplified both the regressive and, quote, progressive elements of the 20th century. 
Um, they broke new ground in some areas of history and theory, while um, as well as source-based historiography, but they still largely produced prejudiced research and writing. Am I, am I right in that? Yes, um, absolutely. So Dunning and Burgess were important points in um, the quote-unquote map of ideas at Columbia School of Political Science. Um, they were at their apex at a moment of great ferment and division in America. Uh, which is precisely when Ambedkar attended Columbia in the 1910s. Um, so even the university faculty here was divided according to you know divergent ideas on social democracy, equality, um, and civility. You know, with Dunning standing in for an ideological school that ruled the academy for nearly three generations. Mm, I see. And so because of your knowledge about this history of ideas flowing from Columbia in the interwar period, you were given the task of archiving Embedker, particularly Embedker the student. And so here I want to ask you, how did your experiences in and knowledge gained from the CU in Slavery seminar inform your research process? Um, yes, so underlying the CU and Slavery seminar, at least since its 2016 iteration, is this idea of writing history from ground up, or what um, historians call history from below. Voluntarily or, you know, through mutual discussion, professors and alumni of the seminar have been emphasizing the need for amplifying the voices of those, quote-unquote, silenced in the archive, especially the black and brown people who were at one time voluntarily or involuntarily part of the university. Um, the notion of silences in the archive has been an important one for my development as an amateur historian and critical thinker. Um, I first encountered this concept through the writings of Professor Sadia Hartman in my first CU and Slavery seminar, um, and, you know, writing what she refers to as, quote-unquote, impossible histories in order to reduce silences in the archive is something that I deeply revere. Um, since I have come to believe that there are too many silences in U.S. history as well as Columbia University's history. Um, and this initiative has been empowering in many ways, partly because I think we are doing exactly that, um, reducing silences or near silences in the archives surrounding the world of Humbedker. And uh, what do you mean by silences or near silences? Um, do you, and do you believe that there is a, a spectrum of silence? Uh, and finally, uh, what are some maybe examples of what Professor Hartman calls impossible or hidden histories? Yeah, um, I should have clarified. Uh, the, I guess the short answer to that is um, that I do believe there is a spectrum. Silence, I think... Um, you know, it arises from the complete non-existence of historical data. Um, so uh, silence here would be one end of the spectrum, a spectrum of how, quote-unquote, loud voices in the archive are. Um, if no data exists, there is complete silence, which can happen if records, you know, are lost, destroyed, overlooked, or never created in the first place. Um, in the history of American slavery, owing to complete silences, there are impossible histories to be written through the non-existent voices of enslaved people who never got to tell 
others like you and me today about their life stories, their names, their birth dates, their families, their interests, and more. So, um, in so many categories of history, there are impossible histories as well as hidden histories to be written in order to reduce complete and near silences. And would you say that the RBML has has these complete silences and near silences? Uh, and is the Embedker Initiative, you know, working toward reducing these silences and near silences by uh, creating impossible or hidden histories? Um, absolutely, yeah. So the RBML is full of papers, records, and collections of those administrators and academics deemed um, most important to the university history, such as Nicholas Murray Butler, Seth Lowe, John Burgess, uh, Frederick A.P. Barnard, etc. Um, and the RBML has little to no records of people of so many categories, like um, the enslaved people who constructed Columbia's first campus, the assistants and servants um, whose labor sustained the careers of star academics for centuries, the maids, the butlers and staff whose hands kept all the students fed, um, all the students, you know, get out of bed, uh, you know, the lives of students of color, especially black students, um, whose time at Columbia remain unknown. And, you know, there are so many other categories to this list. Um, and in the case of the initiative, we have silences and near silences as well. Um, as Dr. Mbaker was never considered, you know, quote-unquote, most important among university community members until really, you know, only recently. Um, yeah. Mm. And and so you said that these silences and near silences in the archive uh, exist because historical records are either lost, destroyed, overlooked, or, you know, never created in the first place. Uh, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that and why such a reputable archive like the RBML has these silences and near silences. Um, you know, what is it about the archive that leaves room for silences in the first place? So um, we usually think of archives as repositories of historical data. Um, the archive, in that sense, is a mere container of information, but um, that's not really the case at all. The archive itself is history or historical data. The more I do archival research, um, you know, on Ambicker's time at Columbia, uh, the more I think about this fact. Yes, so um, each and every archive has its history, right? Um, an archive is a collection of collections, one that is compiled and created by people we call archivists, who you know themselves should be considered as creators and managers of history. With time, different archivists you know come and go, meaning the archive itself is created, shaped, recreated, and reshaped by different archivists. So as such, the archive, you know, the archive at one point in time is not and cannot be the same archive from another point in time. Yeah, so um, that means the organizing logic of the archive is different at different points in time. The archive is not stagnant. Um, while it preserves peoples of the past, 
Um, the archive is organic in that it is constantly molded and remolded by different people throughout time. So um, I'd like you to say a bit more about the organizing logic of the archive. Um, what does that mean and how does that relate to Embedker? So with different archivists leading an archive at different points of time, the archive's logic or logics of organization change too. So while there are certain um, similarities, consistencies, and traditions in different archives, inevitably different archivists prioritize or favor different materials of or produced by different people. So for example, Columbia's archivists today are not the same as those from the 1910s. Um, Ty Jones, my mentor at the RBML, for example, is a labor historian and deeply invested in the 1960s, among other periods. He brought the papers of Yuri and Bill Kochiyama to the RBML because he deemed them to be important for the RBML to have. Now, think of, you know, archivists of the RBML uh, of U.S. history who came before Ty, say, uh, in the 1930s or 1910s. They had different priorities and different ways of organizing the archive and its collections. So while Dr. Mbetker and his papers have recently been considered by today's archivists of the RBML, um, those of the past, they didn't care too much about the papers of someone who they deemed to be on the margins of the university's intellectual field. Mm, okay, I see. And, and so does that mean that Mbetker's papers were not kept well, uh, luckily, we have found many letters and essays written by Dr. Mbedger. The funny thing is that dozens of his letters were all in one of hundreds of boxes of uh, Edwin Seligman's papers. That box was supposed to be completely cataloged, but that was done sometime in the 20th century, and nobody bothered to list the name Mbedger in the catalog, um, you know, because he was not, I guess, deemed important enough to be included in a the catalog and his letters were simply overlooked um likely you know because of the fact that the archivist didn't seem seem to care too much um and in, you know that mistake by the some archivists in the early 20th century was repeated um in the online catalog that was you know obviously created after the internet uh, um yes yeah, so we basically just did not know where these letters by Dr. Mbecker were um, until just, you know, the past two years. Um, we only had secondary source accounts of the fact that these letters existed in the RBML. Mm. And, and so what will you be doing with these letters and essays? Um, so as I said before, I think um, one of the unspoken missions of the Embedger Initiative is to reduce as many silences and near silences surrounding the world of Dr. Embedger um, during his time at Columbia and beyond. So we are, in essence, making the inaccessible as accessible as possible. So in order to do so, we are currently working on creating a digital archive of Dr. Mbeker's papers and more, all open to the public so that anyone with internet can access the documents for their research, you know, writing, activism, and more. Um, I think the project in many ways mirrors Dr. Mbeker's thoughts and beliefs, considering, you know, we are using documents by and of him in order to democratize his voice and stories for all of us today. Um, and beyond, not just um, the university. Mm. Well, Tommy, this has been such a fascinating conversation, and I want to 
thank you for being here today. And also thank you for uh, the incredibly important work that you're doing. All right. Thank you so much, Gus.